Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Imagine if you could shop the shelves of all your local liquor stores at the same time. Well, spoiler alert, you can with Drizzly, the number one alcohol delivery app. Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly is giving all new customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code SAVE5 at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com. Hello and welcome to the Football Grad Podcast. I'm your host, Manu Weff, and we have a bunch of topics to discuss this week. We're going to start with the UEFA Nations League. Um, some really positive results for our countries that we cover, Russia and Ukraine. We're going to go into that in depth. Then we have the latest from the Russian Premier League. What's happened with the Mamal and Kogorin scandal? We'll give you the latest. Um, we're also going to talk about the re-evaluation of Russian players by Transfermarkt.de and the Russian Football Union Presidency. Well, lots of interesting topics this, this week to discuss and helping me to discuss all of these is my man from Siberia, Andrew Flint. How are you doing? Um, I'm no longer in Europe, so the gap has grown again. I, I think we're like 13 hours apart. How are you doing? Ah, not bad, thanks, man. Not bad, not bad. You know, whilst you were swanning around all of Europe's lo- most lovely places, I've been stuck here in Siberia, which of course is a is a blessing because I get to watch incredible games like um, Tumen against Tesca. I mean, it was the most <laughs> um, absolute, most significant annihilation one-one I've ever seen in my life. Um, and you know, if I get to see that because I'm here, um, so you didn't think I was going to wait much longer than fifteen seconds to get that in, did you? <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> I didn't hey, hey, Tim, you're, you're, not, you're not upset for me to say that, are you, Tim? Oh, I'm so happy for you. I'm so happy for this whole <laughs> result and for this annihilation of the uh, team from Premier League. Oh, great result. I don't Fantastic. even have to do the introduction today. Tim is just <laughs> <laughs> rocking right in. <laughs> How are you doing, Tim? I guess you've been quite happy about this, this result uh, in the Russian Cup as well. Yeah, Spartak is not playing, so only good results are happening. And I just thought of that. Uh, we kind of first time probably in the history of football grad uh, in this unique situation that Russia and England are doing better than Germany. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> One of those glorious moments when unfortunately... It's, it's, it's pretty much the same... Today. The same likelihood of Tumeni going through the to the next level of cup, the same thing is happening right now. So it's pretty weird situation. Hey, 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 hang on a minute, hang on a minute. That was absolutely expected. Nobody expected <laughs> Germany to to suffer like this. Come on, Tim. <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a, a bizarre situation. I guess um, we're talking about the UEFA Nations League and the game yesterday that I got the that I got to cover, and then of course the game against the Netherlands. 
um, which I think was way worse than what we saw last night. Um, the, this three nil defeat to the Netherlands were actually our rivals, not like those, uh, phonies from the island. Um, just gonna throw that out there. They're actually our rivals. So losing to them is really bad. Um, the game against France, mm, uh, I think it was a, a big improvement that, um, you know, given the player material, um, probably took a little too long to take. But uh, that's that's the negatives about the UEFA Nation League. We want to talk about positives, right? Um, and that's Russia. Tim, I mean, uh, promotion isn't secured yet, but um, pretty much so. I mean, you have seven points out of three games. You'd beat Turkey's soundly. Um, goes by Roman Neustadter and Denis Cherezhev. I mean, could anything really possibly still go wrong? Or do you think, well, this is Russia. Um, they're going to screw it up some way or another. Well, um, yeah, like normally I would say that, but uh, uh, the nation team uh, led by Stanislav Shevchesov kind of in the past uh, six months uh, taught us to believe in them, and it's a very good feeling. Uh, but at the same time, yeah, we need to, we have one uh, last game away in Sweden, and we need to not to lose. We need to win or to get a tie, and the promotion should be secured. That sounds like a doable deal, especially um, the way uh, Stanislav Shevchesov's team is playing, that we play fairly defensive football and nobody will be will uh, will criticize him for that because this is the quality of players we have and this is the coach he is and this is the how we got the success in uh, the uh, last uh, World Cup in Russia um, so I think because of the style we play uh, I think this is a, an achievable goal and it's uh, absolutely doable but like like you said you never know Russia been in a few uh, quite a few um, different situations when we were had a glorious opportunity to move forward and we gloriously sc- screwed it up so um, uh, we also have to wait uh, for a month to see which will be um, uh, the players uh, my biggest concern is the captain of uh, the current team and the pretty much the leader is uh, Tom Zuba he it's good for me as a Spartak fan because uh, he is uh, losing his uh, physical condition and not very good as a fan of 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 national Russia team. He has been playing football uh, very very passionately and with lots of physical um, involvement uh, since pretty much spring because he had this goal of returning to the national team when he uh, went on loan to Arsenal Tula. He worked very very hard in preseason to be in top form. He wasn't very good form before the World Cup. We all know how hard he worked during the World Cup and he continued working as hard. He had I think about five days of uh, break between the uh, World Cup and returning to Zenit's training camp. And he's been warning, uh, working since, uh, like he's playing since. Um, in those two games in um, in national team, it was noticeable that Zuba was not in his best physical condition. He's definitely, um, it's going down. And it's a very, very big part of uh, this team. So we really have to see in which conditions Juba uh, will arrive um, to that November match against uh, Sweden. So that's my only concern. But I believe in in Stanislav Chechesov, and I believe in this team, and I hopefully will uh, will go to the to the playoffs. Mm. Andrew, what did you make of these games? I mean, and the the, the result against Turkey is excellent against Sweden. Um, <laughs> midnight drama, I guess, in Kaliningrad. Um, I, I, I have to ask this, Andrew. Um, it's a bit of a joke, but you are notoriously bad when it comes to time zones. Did you, did, do you work secrecy for UEFA? <laughs> 
Well, in my in my defence, I live under the influence of Dmitry Medvedev's um, love of cows. For anybody who's not aware of what I'm on about, he changed the time zones in Russia and how they moved a few years ago because I quote directly from the mouth of the then president of the Russian Federation: <laughs> "It upsets the cows in their milking routine." I am not joking at all, Tim. You know what I'm on. About. <laughs> I um, so the question I have now is: He from Alberta? <laughs> well, this, this this is the problem. This is the country that this is the country that I live in. I love it dearly, but my word, they have a strange relationship with time. Um, and in this case, it was proven even more so. I'll be I'll be perfectly honest. It it's it makes a juicy headline. I can't believe UEFA actually genuinely did not realise that. But either way, whether they did or not, they chose a dreadful kickoff time. Um, even local time, it was it was late. Um, so. Yep, um, I had the joy of... I actually did stay up for that one. Um, I really don't know why, um, if I'm honest. But, <laughs> look, let's, let's, um, let's look at the performance itself. It yeah, was a, your, time, your time it was probably like, what, 2 o'clock in the morning or 1 o'clock in the morning? Uh, I, it was so late, I think it was... I just lost track of what time it actually yeah, was yeah. By, by the time the game was over. Where but, the cows are? Um, That's the question I'm asking. <laughs> So you say again, money? <laughs> Where the cows up? <laughs> the cows. Uh, there aren't so many cows in uh, in Chuman, so I can't have. I can't really gauge, to be honest. But, um, but yes, uh, talking about cows on the pitch. Um, the the <laughs> it's a bit, bit harsh about Russian team. They're better than cows. Um, the, it was a nil nil draw at home to Sweden when you need to win. On paper, doesn't sound very promising, but and it wasn't an electrifying performance. But even though it wasn't quite as powerful as the Russia, uh, the Turkey away game, I actually felt it was still encouraged by it because it was a back four instead of a back five that they played for the majority of the World Cup, um, and the players adapted reasonably well to it. It didn't look unduly under pressure. Um, and sometimes you have those games where it just doesn't quite click. And yeah, you could say that Chichesov, as the manager, needs to be able to change that and, and get more out of his team on the day. But at least the setup made sense. And that was the main thing I took away from that. Um, and then the game against Turkey, it was just, it was, I thought it was, uh, it was an excellent performance, really powerful. And again, um, it was, it was a strange one for me because I actually thought we might see a little more um, of uh, Mirancho twins, or at least Alexei. And in a, in a strange kind of way, although he's an exceptionally talented player, I think the fact that they're not looking to him as the key creator is, is a positive because it's more about how the team are, are building their attacks. Zobnin was excellent again, holding the midfield. Um, and that has, I believe, offset the loss of um, a certain Spartak Moscow captain, um, who I was mm-hmm. pioneering for a place in the World Cup squad. Um, but Mr. Glushikov, um, Denis Glushikov being out of the reckoning completely, a lot of people criticise his form. I don't really buy into that. I think his form wasn't quite as high as it has been, but even still, he's is an excellent player. Zobnin is, is making that loss slightly easier to take. And that the whole team, I thought played well, basically played very well to a system, unbeaten in three competitive and it is competitive games. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it would have been nice to wrap it up if they had beaten Sweden as well as Turkey, and then they would have been already promoted. But it's still well within well, well within Russia's control. So that's the main thing for me. Um, pretty positive for me. Yeah, um, I think that if you did seven points out of. Three games, um, these are results I can only dream of as a German. 
at the moment. Um, kind of harsh to say that, but you know, I think promotion is pretty much knock on wood, of course, it's pretty much a done deal. Uh, I think if you have two games left, they have two games left, right? Um, or just the one, sorry, just the one against Sweden. This, these groups of three teams that just really screw with my head. Um, we get to talk about the regulation and rules of this, this tournament a bit more. And, um, I think that it, I'd be massively surprised if, if Russia, um, throw this away, to be quite honest. I think, um, a draw seems a natural result for anyone playing Sweden. <laughs> and this is, <laughs> it's just, <laughs> that's, it's probably going to be a zero zero draw. I think you can all, we can all put money on that because that's just, when you look at the Sweden team, that's what they play. They play such, um, I mean, at the World Cup, uh, we had them in our group and I thought that they were just the, the, one of the most boring sides to watch, which is, is kind of, yeah, kind of interesting. But I, guys, we have to, um, talk a bit about the elephant in the room. Which is that Ukraine have been promoted from, from their league. Uh, they're the first country to be promoted from, um, the UEFA, from any of group, the groups. So in their case, it's UEFA Nations League B to A. Um, that means they are in the playoffs. And it also means that Russia will be in the playoffs. Why I'm saying this is the elephant in the room. Now, the only other team that we can sort of say Bosnia, right? Bosnia pretty much have sealed promotion as well. Um, and then it will be Denmark. Um, what did I say? Denmark or Wales were fighting for the, the fourth spot in the playoffs. Um, Tim, I know there is a lot of talk always when we come to Russia and Ukraine. The current situation between the two countries is very difficult. There's a lot of politics involved. I know you don't like to talk about politics very much. I know that a lot of your friends and within Russians and Ukrainians that live together and uh, especially in Vancouver or other communities, expat communities, the topic of the differences are very, very little. But at the same time, um, fan groups are very different, right? So fan groups are often very hostile. We are now in a situation that it looks very likely that these two countries will face each other in the playoffs. Yes, it is. Uh, I'm not sure what's the, the UEFA view on that because, like, you remember how the teams were separated on purpose, uh, during, and the clubs in Europe are being separated, uh, during the draw. So I'm not sure how they will go about it. Um, have you heard anything on that? If, if they have made a, a statement? I think they're just hoping not that they won't be. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, see, for me, it's it's hard to say. Like you said, I'm not really big fan of talking politics publicly and even personally. Uh, but uh, I always hoped that uh, see what will happen is that if Russia and Ukraine play in the game, it will be kind of a step not to the extent the war, but maybe to have a little bit more peace and maybe the football and the sport will kind of be the the thing which which will. Um, uh, produces love, not hate. And, uh, you know, it, it will be focused on, uh, just on the game, not on the politics. I think I'm, I'm speaking too idealistic and I'm not sure if this is even possible, but, uh, my only wish if Russia and Ukraine play, and especially if it will be, uh, let's say a final, um, it will be, it will be about football, but not about politics. Uh, it's, it's, I'm not sure if it's, if it's possible, but, uh, I hope that football will have this mission of peace. And not the mission of, uh, um, you know, any, any conflicts uh, at the, but how realistic is this? 
it's hard for me to say, especially I haven't lived in Russia for quite some time. And I know that, you know, the relationship here, for example, for me in Vancouver between my uh, Ukrainian friends and, and Russian friends, there's, there's no differences. We all, we all, we all pretty much the same. Uh, I just went to a, a massive birthday party on Sunday where we had about 40 people and half of them was from, from, were from Russia and half of them from Ukraine. Nobody spoke. Obviously, we were all friends. So we had a great time. Nobody spoke politics and there was, there was no issues. And I hope that, you know, somehow we can turn, trans, uh, transcribe those relationships to back, back home. But again, I'm not sure how it's possible because sometimes I go on the internet and I see what, uh, both sides talk about each other just in comments. And you can't really judge the nation by comments, but it's gets sometimes pretty ugly. So. Uh, I don't have an answer for you. I just hope for the best. Yeah, I think the big problem will be the fan groups. And no, the fan yeah. groups and, and Ukrainian Ukrainian fan groups. Um, we, a lot there has been a lot, there was a lot of talk about fan groups um, ahead of the World Cup in Russia, but um, I think they are choir boys in comparison to a lot of the fan groups in in Ukraine that are um, a lot more hostile and a lot more aggressive and. I think when you look at the politics of um, Ukraine at the moment, the there's been a lot more radicalization in in that country um, towards towards right wing politics. Um, of course, that is fueled by the ongoing conflict. A country at war, a country that who has its borders threatened, seem is always more likely to drift off um, towards right wing politics. I think that's just it's not an excuse; it's just um, an observation, um, and I think. In that regard, I think it's not a big surprise that in, that a radical fan group, and I've, I've lived in Ukraine, right? And uh, I think that um, from observing the, the fan groups and the, the pieces that I did at the time about Arsenal Kiev, one of the few left-wing clubs in the country, or the only left-wing club in the country, it really kind of highlighted... It really kind of highlighted what what fan group composition was. I remember we did this piece on um, one of the first articles I ever did on Football Ground about five years ago about the the, the um, fan groups in the country, and um, there was not a single fan group that was not right wing. So you you have this really heavy nationalistic undertone um, within the fan groups. And, I mean, you just need to see what's going on with Dynamo Kiev every time they play in the Champions League or the Europa League against, um, you know, the, the amount of radicalism is, is, is a huge problem. So I think while the ordinary Ukrainians and Russians would probably be okay with it, I think the big issue would be the fan groups. And I don't even think Russian fan groups, it would be Ukrainian fan groups that would basically see this as an opportunity to say, okay, well, we're getting beaten by Russia in this conflict in the Donbass. So now we're going to use this platform, this match, as an opportunity to show our grievances. And grievances in, in their minds is usually just heavy violence. And that's really something that I'm worried about, right? So I guess, Andrew, the, the only solution for something like this is to move this game as far away from any of those two countries as possible. Well, yeah, I mean, the format of the, the playoffs does allow for that. I mean, it says there will be a draw. Um, so basically, after the four uh, group winners for each league are decided for um, for this year, next summer will be the finals, and there's a draw where one country will host the two one-leg semi-finals and final. So the, the simple answer is UEFA could step in and say, look, we're just we're going to be sensible and not host it in Russia or Ukraine. That's That's the short-term answer. Long-term answer, um, I'm afraid there's, there's only so much football can do 
um, up to this point. And I, I do think that the World Cup, the way it was staged, was a positive step towards uh, coexistence. I don't know quite what the word is. Um, now, of course, there wasn't a direct um, there wasn't a direct fixture between obviously Russia and Ukraine, um, but there was a positive way that the football was staged. And I think, I don't know in depth about Ukrainian fan groups as much as to do Russian fan groups, but um, I mean, I would point out we shouldn't demonise one country's fan groups too much. I mean, as an Englishman, I watched uh, English fans, as usual, they're drunk and disorderly, but they went a step further in Spain this week where they were shouting, well, it's not that it was new. They have been for some time shouting very politicised slogans about uh, about the the IRA, the Irish Republican Army, and that's just uh, it, it flies in the face of the efforts that have been made in the last two three decades of of violence in Northern Ireland, um, the clashes between Republic of Ireland and United Kingdom. I'm not even going to go down that rabbit hole too much, but the point I'd like to make is it's unfortunately I'd hate I hate to say this, but I do think it's an issue that goes beyond one particular region or country in the world. How to solve it? Well, yeah, like I say, it is, this goes far beyond um, UEFA or FIFA's ability to do anything about it. But in the short term, for this, the simple answer is um, just simply say, look, we're not going to host if Ukraine and Russia, as we mentioned, are, it's very likely if they become group winners, then neither will host for fairly obvious reasons. And I don't think either country would really complain about that. I don't think it's something they would clamour for. It would be slightly odd. Um, but, you know, this is all part of, of, of moving forwards. And if Russia and Ukraine do play each other in Denmark, for example, and the fans can be persuaded, and there's enough time in advance to prepare for this, if they can be persuaded, incentivized, educated to say, look, guys, come on, don't screw this up for us. The consequences could be more severe down the line. It, it's a good compromise in my mind. So I hope that is what will happen. Yeah, um, I guess the question is really who's going to host this, right? Um, Andrew, I know you did some digging into the, into the, uh, rules and regulations of this, um, is it a complicated tournament? <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> well, you know, I mean, this, this is the thing I was rather embarrassed about this. I mean, the, the concept is incredibly simple. There's one complication that I've recently found out. Now, I thought I had this all wrapped up in my head because simply four groups, group winners, playoff, semi-final, final is really not complicated for anybody. But this, this is the thing. There are two definitions everybody needs to get clear. And this is what I only really thoroughly learned this week. There is the finals, which is something that will take place next summer. And the finals basically don't mean anything. For Group A, so League A, for top tier, they will get a trophy, but the trophy is just a newly created thing. It doesn't actually in itself get you anywhere. It doesn't qualify you for Euro 2020 directly. For summer of, well, spring, sorry, of 2020, so in March, will be playoffs like we usually have for the European Championships, except instead of being taken or made up from teams that have been third in their group, it will now just be the 16 uh, group winners from each league within the, the nation's league. But this is where it gets slightly more confusing. <laughs> so bear with me on this. The regular qualification groups that will carry on as normal, the winners are most likely to be made up from 
teams in the top tier, so in League A of the Nations League. So if teams have already qualified through regular qualification groups, then their place in will be taken by the next highest ranked team via the Nations League. So the Nations League performances will determine that. Um, and once we have 16 teams made up that way, then we'll just have a simple playoff, uh, a semi-final playoff and final playoff to get four places. So basically, next summer is for the actual playoffs that will qualify for Euro 2020. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Wow. Okay. Um, <laughs> I feel like that GIF with the numbers, the numbers are in front of me. You know, you know which GIF I'm talking about. Um, I, I also just saw that um, Portugal and Poland have expressed interest in bidding for the the finals. I'm not sure if these are the the finals for all of them. Will they all take them place in the same in the same country? Um, I guess not because they are all taking place at the same time. So. Um, I guess we'll see who bits for the um, playoffs for B, C, and D. Um, but yeah, I, I, you explained it, the the way this works um, well in terms of um, of qualification for the Euro for the European Championship. So finishing first in in Group B um, is important, right? Because it gives you it gives you almost um, guaranteed that you have a second that you have a chance um, at qualifying for yeah. the Euros. Right, because we we assume that the top countries from from League A will all qualify. Well, yeah, I mean, finishing finishing top of your nation's league group is is a very important for qualification. the The only confusion is just when that final step actually takes. That's the only thing. You finish top of your nation's league group, even if you're uh, a League A top tier team, then it does marginally take the pressure off your qualification campaign. So you may see that countries take thinking well look we're in the playoffs we'll back ourselves to win uh you know win a, a playoff against one of possibly weaker sides that will have to be replaced from slightly lower down the nation's league um but finishing top of your group guarantees you a possibility of of qualifying within a a semi-final and final playoff system so it's definitely definitely valuable for that it's just you have to wait until 2020 not next summer to know if you will need that to qualify or not so yeah it is a bit confusing um i just learned yesterday that with germany and i thought this what the possible relegation would be way worse but if germany gets relegated there is a, as a slight chance that it will not be seated in one of the top 10 groups of um, european qualifying <clears throat> apparently Apparently, getting relegated from League A doesn't even mean that. <laughs> so, uh, I thought these, uh, UEFA Nations League games, um, were a more, lot more important than they were. Um, I guess they, 
it's it's good that teams are playing for something that counts for and i i think you saw that yesterday in the game between germany and france it was a lot more than a, a meaningless friendly but um it is just a little bit of an upgrade is it um from from actually being meaningless friendlies um in some ways yeah i mean you know the the, the whole promotion relegation idea i think is a fantastic concept in itself but getting relegated to league a uh, to league b sorry uh it doesn't actually mean a huge deal if if anything it will make germany's life slightly easier in the next um, nations campaign in theory because they'll be playing slightly weaker sides but um i think what uefa wants is they want people to win the nations league as a tournament in itself and it is a like i say it is a trophy it is a tournament but it doesn't it doesn't really mean anything in itself so i don't think teams will worry too much about being relegated from league a it will be fascinating how they're going to carry this over into world cup qualifying um but yeah that's that's an entire entire different story for i guess another different podcast um tim for ukraine though you know we want to see we want to underline the positive as well getting promoted is a big step for them because they have not qualified for the world cup um, they are under massive rebuild under Shevchenko at the moment. There's some a lot of young players coming in, so I think this is a huge success for them, right? Absolutely, and especially given what you said about the young player, a massive rebuild, uh, like you said, is going, and there's so many new names and uh, new players. I personally don't really uh, follow the uh, Ukrainian league on a on a, you know week by week basis, and I'm usually surprised when I look at the national team and I see all those names that I don't know. And then slowly and slowly, I start learning about them, seeing them playing for Dynamo Kiev, for Shakhtar in in Europe. Then um, you know, watching some highlights of uh, Ukrainian team, and you start getting familiar with those names. And this is very exciting for me because um, really, we you wrote the article on uh, the lost generation. And uh, to be quite honest, in, in my opinion, it's no different uh, for Ukraine is no different from from Russia. But now, us uh, looking at the um, you know at this young and coming up uh, generation of new players, which is <clears throat> which is playing right now for for the national team, um, I think it's very exciting, very promising. Um, given, I think it's it's a very healthy atmosphere for uh, the young players in the national team to grow up because they have a very experienced and let's call them stars uh, like Yermolinka, Yer, Yer Kanaplyanka, even Zinchenka, um, the players who have um, have been playing in Europe consistently, who have been successful in Europe um, to a certain extent. Uh, they share their experience and they are the leaders of the team. And if the rest of the team is those fairly young and um, slightly less experienced players, that gives them a good opportunity to grow in, in this um, competitive environment. So I'm very excited for, um, uh, it's especially because of that, because I think uh, when you are a young player and when you're winning and when you're giving, um, getting, you know, trophies, even winning the, the group, it is already some kind of an achievement. When you go through this, uh, when you're growing up as a, as a player and you are being uh, successful, that helps you to grow. Given that most of those young players play for Shakhtar and Dynamo Kiev, they're also getting experience in Europe. I think this is a very, very good base for those players to grow, and hopefully this will give a new generation of uh, of good uh, Ukrainian 
team uh, and the good Ukrainian players. Obviously, Vadim will give us uh, way better vis- uh, vision and understanding what's happening, but this is how I see it, and I'm very excited for this generation. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think um, I think also the prospect of playing, I guess, in two years in the UEFA Nations League A against some of the bigger teams. Um, yeah, yeah. Right? They the likes of France, uh, Spain, and England. I think that's that's really going to help them, um, and it's it's an interesting prospect for them. And then, of course, uh, you the, the qualification for the Euros will be will be a massive key for them, very important for them to to get back into a tournament. Um, I mean, the way the Euros are set up now with twenty four teams, I feel like everyone gets to qualify anyway. So. Um, see how that works out for them. But yes, um, boys, I, I want to move this conversation over, um, to club football, which thankfully returns on the weekend. Um, as much as the UEFA Nations League is interesting, I think this is the third break that we had in club football already this season. And, uh, every time it gets really interesting and exciting, they're throwing, um, an international break at us and um it's kind of glad that's done and dusted with because i i personally live for club football i think a lot of people do and uh, I, i'm really happy that it comes back and i mean the russian premier league returns on friday some interesting fixtures but before we talk about those games tim and andrew and i'm going to tim first we have to because the last last week we talked about kokorin and my Oh. And uh, it was sort of, we, we were recording this podcast and uh, we were recording it while information was sort of coming in. Um, mm-hmm. It was basically on the fly. Now, we had a week for it to sort of let it settle. Uh, Tim, maybe just an update. What has happened since last week? So right now, both Kakorin and Mamaev are in jail. They have been sentences for two months, and right now the whole uh, the whole court situation is happening. There's different uh, court um, hearings between um, you know between them and between the other side of the conflict. Um, to be honest, it's hard really to understand without proper uh, knowledge of the Russian law um, what is happening and uh, what is the potential outcome. Um, to me. Uh, it doesn't really matter what will happen. Look, of course, it matters for, for them. I don't think they will get a, like a proper, you know, jail sentences. It will be some kind of uh, maybe a, a short version, or maybe there's a version that they can be. Uh, it was I'm not sure what's the English expression, but in Russian it's called arrested at home, so they can't really leave the country, or they ha- they would have to stay at home. Yeah, house, sorry, house arrest. So they, that, that might be the, uh, that's, I think what they both, um, you know, uh, lawyers of Mamaev and Kakorin are going for to move that, uh, two months sentence from jail to the house arrest. Uh, but again, um, to me, the most important that they ended up being in jail now for a week already. And I think, um, you know, that, uh, that gives them the, um, maybe some time to think and reflect on actually what happened and being by yourself in a, in a jail cell, um, you know, g- get some thoughts in your, in your head. So uh, again, it's, it's hard to say. It's also hard to say how the both clubs will react. Uh, the bookies release their version of what will happen. And according to, to them, um, the Krasnodar will, um, 
um, terminate the contract with Mamaev and they are working hard on it. And Mamaev will end up in Ahmad Grozny because the president of Ahmad Grozny, Razam Kadyrov, he uh, said publicly that after both players are, um, you know, done with their you know, two month sentences, and then they are officially allowed to go back to football. They welcome them back at uh, at Ahmad Grozny, which was received uh, with mixed emotions in in Russian football. That statement, um, and uh, and the the other side of the like what the bookie says, they say that the Kakori most likely will stay in Zenit and Petersburg. So I'm not sure how how much truth is that because, as you know, this is just like the what the, you know, the, just the, the way the the bookies view the situation. Um, it's very very hard to understand really what will happen, but uh, I think the the biggest impact that the story had is that the footballers they have to be careful and they because the, they live in this bubble like most of footballers um i'm i'm i know that the same story is happening in england that footballers they live in their own bubble and once they step out there's some uh, issues and problems happening so maybe that will give a younger players um kind of like a, a um you know, and, and not an advice, but like a story that, you know, you have to be careful. Unfortunately, that hasn't been the case because in that week since we've done uh, the last podcast, two players from Krylia Sovietov, Tigiev and Bashkirov, were arrested uh, for drunk driving. Bashkirov and uh, Tigiev was um, arrested allegedly for drug use. Then they both went to uh, to do their tests and uh, no drugs were mm, were located in their blood. Uh, so they were just arrested pretty much for kind of like DUI. And then uh, another story came out, another two stories came out that Glushakov, he has been deal- dealing with his um, divorce process and he made some financial um, transactions, which according to his wife are illegal and that kind of adds another layer of the scandal to that story. Glushakov is still is playing for reserves uh, for Spartak uh, youth side. And the third story which happened in the same week uh, that uh, Dmitry Tarasov who plays for Lokomotiv, um, again according to his ex-spouse, he hasn't been paying uh, the, um, you know, the, the child support in full and she again was filing um, um, some kind of you know, I don't know the some, some kind of yeah this. Um, so it's it's it looks like really there's some kind of you know hunting going uh, against against Russian players. Obviously, you know, drunk driving is you just have to be stupid and do that. But uh, it's just so much negativity happened at the same moment around the uh, Russian players. And um, I was hoping that that story with Mamai and Kakorev will be a lesson for all the other players. Uh, but obviously, based on that week, it wasn't, you know, two players uh, got got caught uh, drunk driving and other players dealing with divorce and other players dealing with uh, child support. Again, I, I have to stress, I don't know how much truth in, in those allegations are and maybe those players are completely clean and there's nothing happening. But uh, it seems like there's some kind of stories are happening. And um, really, it's... It's uh, it's 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 very negative, and I'm very happy that the football is finally coming back because for the past two weeks, all those stories were dominating uh, the the football and sports press, and uh, there was no uh, football talk. It was pretty much uh, just uh, all the scandals, and it feels like we the whole football society is just going through a lot of dirty laundering uh, collectively, and it's just not a very nice feeling. So. That's kind of what the latest. Um, I assume that Mamaev and Kakorin will um, get some kind of 
um, easy, 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 right? Because at this point, um, I think they got their lesson and they have very powerful connections everywhere. I think there there will be some kind of solution that way they will be um, maybe doing just a house arrest, maybe even uh, let go completely. Uh, that's how I feel it's, uh, the story will be. But uh, to summarize everything, I hope that week, that horrible week around the football players will be a lesson for the young players who will understand that if you doing something wrong and if you live in your bubble, you still have to understand that you live in society. There are some other people who live in that society as well. And you need to respect traditions. You need to respect the rules and you need to respect other people. Yeah. The um, Russian sports minister, Pavel Kolopkov, um, he said it, it, it doesn't matter if they're football players, they're normal, normal citizens and everyone has to keep the law. Exactly. And, exactly. um, he's also said that they, uh, he threatened them with the, the full rules of the legal system. Um, so I guess we have to see what that means. It is interesting that you point out all these things, Tim, because of course in Turkey right now, Ada Turan is facing yeah. a potential 12 month, uh, jail, the 12 year jail sentence for a fight in a bar, I believe. Um, so it's, it's interesting that we, you know, this bubble that you mentioned, um, it seems that for players, um, I guess the divide is so big between the, the, the players in Russian society and normal citizens in Russian society, which is still a country, right? That's, that's a brick nation. It's a country. It's a developing emerging market. So, and there, there is the haves and haves not. Um, not every city in, in Russia is like Moscow, where there's a big middle class. Um, and this mm-hmm. is, this is something that you can to attest to as well, right, Andrew? Um, so you have these players that live so far away from the Russian reality. And I think for me, the one thing that really stood out the most is when Kokorin was arrested, the picture that went around. Um, yeah. I, I, I don't know what it was. Oh, it was an Armani handbag or Gucci handbag and his Nike jumper. And yeah. uh, he was basically smiling into the camera. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, that said it already, didn't it? Yeah, it did, Andrew. And I, I think when you, when you look at that, that scene in particular, I think that's the one that made the rounds the most, right? That and yeah. the fact that Mamaev and Kukorin, who basically were best mates for the last 10 years, backstabbed each other in the, in the police interviews. Um, mm-hmm. which is, of course, also a, quite an interesting one, considering that they used to be teammates as well. But Andrew, is that just that picture? Was that basically just the, uh, it summed it up the most in some ways because it just showed the, 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 the gap between reality and, um, players' lives. Yeah, just it was so. I, I tried to write a, a a column about it for my um one of my outlets, and I just I couldn't find the right word to describe the emotion. At one point, it was anger. Another, it was disappointment. But whatever the negative emotion is, that attitude is like, guys, come on, look, you've gone on a bender, you've acted horrendously. Now, that in itself isn't unforgivable. But even if you are genuinely so drunk you're out of control and you don't control your actions properly, at that point, when you've been arrested, there is absolutely no way you are getting away with this in the sense that you will get coverage negatively. And what you mentioned, Tim, about the actual sentence, what it will end up being, well, you're absolutely right. We can't guarantee what will happen. But at that point, you think, look, the very least you could do is just scrape together some sense of of dignity in the situation and yeah. show 
even just even fake remorse would have been better than actively smiling. And the, the backstabbing you mentioned, the behaviour of Mamayev's father reeling mm. off a load of expletives to his club as if his son had done nothing wrong. It's that attitude that sends a message without being too moralistic. It does send a message that basically if you're rich and powerful enough and you shout loud enough in the right way to the right people, you can basically turn it around so you get away with it. Or at the very least, you're saying you're allowed to dispute it. What is there's nothing in dispute here. This isn't this isn't a matter like, for example, okay, I know, I know it's going slightly off on a tangent, but bear with me on this one. When, um, when Luis Suarez was playing for Liverpool in England, there was a moment when he said in a match, he said a racist term to Patrice Evra, who is a black player. And he tried to, he tried to brazen it out by saying, look, in Uruguay, we use this term in my own language and it's not considered racist. And in my opinion, that doesn't hold up because you, you don't, you don't say something by your own standards to someone else when it's a matter as sensitive as that. But look, the matter was under discussion. It could be discussed at the very least. This is absolutely clear cut. We've got video evidence. There are tons and tons of witnesses. Um, and I do like to stand up for players sometimes in the whole, well, players shouldn't misbehave. I think, well, you mentioned the bubble. They, they are in a bubble. And part of it is negative, but part of it is imposed upon them. I mean, you know, you are in the spotlight the whole time. So you, you need to let off steam somehow. You need to have some form of privacy. This is not it, though. There is no confusion. There is no grey area over this. And yet that image still showed he basically didn't care. And uh -huh. it just... I feel let down, I think. That's my overriding expression. I feel uh -huh. let down after all the good work that had been done to restore a bit of fan team connection yeah. not just the world cup artificially but the process up to the world cup and then this i feel let down yeah i think that's a that's a good way of summing it up tim yeah, what, yeah. what what is your expectation now that you know the league resumes um Sinead playing uh, dinamo moscow at uh, our favorite stadium the himki <laughs> and um <laughs> I have to get a Himki show in for at least every Personally, podcast. I think I think what we need, Manny, I think the punishment should be not send them to jail, just make them play a Himki for the rest of their life. <laughs> and then they, they will soon regret it. <laughs> but, and travel, yeah, actually, you know, public transport to there. Yeah, <laughs> And yeah. it must take them a shortcut there, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Get in the queue behind the babushki, elbowing them in the face, and they will soon regret ever attacking someone else. In fact, to tell you what, the assault they will get from the elbows of babushki will be no, sorry, no, it's a poor taste. I shouldn't say that. But no, um, Himki, playing at Himki is not everybody's um, favourite choice. So let's just make it. No, there, no absolutely not. Um, and then um, Grasnodar are playing against Mama's future club, uh, Ahmad. Um, do we expect any impact on those two teams? I mean, they're first and second in the league, um, Tim. I do, I do actually, and I'm um, uh, I'm talking about Zenit mostly because, as I as I mentioned in the top of the show, that Zuba has been showing the the, the uh, signs of uh, slowing down, and uh, I totally get it because it's, he has been playing consistently at top level for so long. Uh, Kakorin was uh, he he was to supposed he was supposed to be the that backup plan uh, for Simak side because he was he just recovered uh, for uh, from the injury he had two good games against uh, that legendary game now against Krasnodar and then uh, against Slavia in Europa League he scored the goal so he was the the person who was supposed to pick up as of right now 
really, uh, Zenit is kind of, especially in attack in a tough position, they didn't really have, um, you know, a good sense of, of football which they played. It wasn't really a beautiful, well-planned uh, game. Uh, there was, you know, it was fairly built on playing uh, long balls to Zuba and Zuba doing really, really well um, in that, um, you know, in that sense. As of right now, really, um, their option if Zuba cannot really play or is not um, fit or not informed to play, they don't have too many options. They have only Zabalotny and Driussi, and Driussi also has been playing quite quite a lot. So without um, Kakorin, um, it's I think it will affect uh, Zenit. Uh, with Mamaev's case, he also was has been the uh, the key player in in Krasnodar um, in in that season. He he I think he made three assists and a couple of goals. So he has been doing well. Um, I'm not sure how they will replace. Him and in in which sense, but I see that you know those both players were supposed to be and were uh, in case of Mamayans a key players for those two teams, and those teams are sharing the first and second spot right now in in Russian Premier League. So mm, I think that that story will affect both teams, and plus I'm not sure how the uh, it will affect them in terms of just a, a group a group mentality inside the club. Uh, I think both clubs got some negative uh, press uh, that probably would stay outside of the dressing room, but at the same time still, um, somehow somehow the coach would have to undress it. So I think that story will play a negative side on, on both clubs, I think more on Zenit than on Krasnodar. Uh, but again, uh, only the, the matches and the results will tell mm. us uh, if that's true. Yeah, interesting one to follow. We're going to... Preview as always, we have a preview on one of the the top games in in the Russian Premier League. Um, I haven't quite decided yet which one it will be, but um, it could be Loko against Rostov. <laughs> Tim, yeah, yeah, because uh, you know Rostov, Rostov has been a, a very good story. I have um, I wrote yesterday a scouting article on uh, Inge Ingerson, the the center back that plays for for them, and, and uh, I identified him very much as as the quarterback in the Carpin system. And fun, fun, fantastic player. And Rostov have been doing some really interesting things, and we have had the sense a little bit that Loco have been on the rise, right? So uh, I think that could be the match of the the week um, in the Russian Premier League, right, Tim? Yeah, I actually I agree with you because it's um, like you said, Lokomotiv has been coming back. Rostov is a very hard uh, team to break. Uh, I just watched them against Spartak and they were phenomenal. They're very organized. Uh, the game is happening in Moscow, so Rostov was playing away. They will probably play their um, a counter-attacking defensive style, and it, I don't think it will be easy for Lokomotiv to break it down. Might be not the most beautiful uh, game of football, uh, which we'll see this season, but uh, the result is very important uh, for both sides because of Lokomotiv when they catch up on Rostov and they would move to the uh, to that European uh, places, a group of teams, obviously depend depending on the other results. If Rostov, um, if Rostov, um, you know, win, get get three points, they will be chasing that uh, Zenit and Krasnodar, and they will be in that Champions League uh, uh, threesome. So it, it it is very important team uh, game, um, and I think you're right in terms of in terms of outlining that game as a top game of the season. The other game to watch is Dynamo versus Zenit. Uh, Dynamo is playing at home at beautiful Arena Himki. And, um, you know, Dynamo has been uh, volatile recently. 
but maybe they used those two weeks um, to get ready specifically for the game against Zenit. Zenit, as usually, they have a lot of players traveling for the national team. So that will be another game where we can see an uh, interesting result. And if uh, Zenit doesn't get three points and Krasnodar wins, it will get very, very tight uh, in the top of the table. So um, interesting, interesting couple of games here. Yeah, absolutely. And um, we'll see. I think it, the, the roster of local game is the one that we're going to preview. Um, yeah. One thing that I want to address too is the transfermarkt.de, um, the Bible when it comes to transfer values of players um, around the world, um, has come up with a mini update on Russian Premier League players and their transfer value, Andrew. Um, one player that we, we mentioned, the Miranchuk twins, um, Alexi and Anton are two of the big winners of this update. Um, Anton went from um, just 2.5 million euros to 8 million euros value. That's an increase of 220% in his transfer value. Uh, I think we can all agree that is much deserved. And then, of course, his brother Alexi Miranchuk, um, he saw his transfer value increase by 40% from 10 million to 14 million. Um, two of the very big winners, um, Mario Fernandez, of course, um, his transfer value went up 4 million euros to 20 million. Um, I also want to mention Fedor Chalov, whose transfer value went up to 5 million. And of course, Nikola Vlasic, also of CSKA Moscow, uh, he's been quite a signing for them, hasn't he? His transfer value is now at oh, 10 yes. million. Um, I mean, when you look at this list, um, on players on there, Chalov, the Miranchok twins, um, they must be the big winners of this, aren't they? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I actually do enjoy looking at these these um, value changes. I mean, I mean, of course, they are. There's, there's reasons and statistics that there's that are studied to make them. But in one sense, they're almost subjective. But I don't, I don't really mind because they there is some there is some method behind all of this and. I think it's a good way, a good measure of the success in the transfer market of CSK Moscow. You look at how many players have had significant rises. Um, I mean, Fernandez is a well-established player. So, yes, I think he probably did earn a rise. Um, and he is one of the most valuable players. So that's that's worthwhile. But Nikola Vlasic, I'm pleased he's got some recognition because he has been absolutely sensational for CSK Moscow this season. Effectively, he's almost one of the senior midfielders um, simply because he's only 21 years old and yet he is showing up in the big games. He's got the quality going forwards. He wants possession. He's always, he's such screaming for the ball and you know, for younger players who are perhaps just coming into the side, that's a really great thing to have. It's a great quality to have. Um, Chaloff is, uh, well, I mean, he personally, I think he probably should have gone up a, a bit more because I think he's been undervalued for quite some time. And actually by the club himself, which I'm a bit surprised at. I've always felt that last season in particular, he just, there were games when he was taken off or didn't start and he really should have done when Vitinho was injured or needed to be rested. And they just, they didn't turn to him. And I, I thought it was a bit odd, but at least this season, we just can't avoid him. Um, so I certainly agree with you on the, in the, the winners, Chaloff being amongst them uh, and Vlasic. Um, interesting as well, there's a lot of the young, really young players who we didn't really know about much before this season for Tiska, who are, who have got good rises too. I think, um, Arnold Sigurdsson is an interesting one. He stands out in the list. Um, he's gone up to, was it 2 million euros? Um, 
and you know he's broken records for being the youngest Icelandic player in the Champions League. Um, he won't be a regular starter once all the players come back from injury. But again, it's recognition. This is a young player whose value has gone up. We're talking about values here. And that's another point to make about the transfer market. Tiska have to reinvest, but they also have to reinvest to sell on later because otherwise they, they just won't be able to survive. Um, and the fact that they've done so well in recognising that is is a credit to their scouting system. I have to say it's um, it's been a, one of the best transfer windows I remember for a club individually in quite some time. Yeah, Tiska one of the big winners. I mean, in the, in the top list, they have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight players that have increased their transfer value. Um, that's just on the first page. Um, that's that's very impressive uh, when you look at the defenders too. Um, all the defenders that they signed, and this was a weakness that we identified after retirement of the dinosaurs, right? Um, that Bijao, uh, Magnussen, um, they all went up in transfer value. So it really shows that they have have done a Good job in bringing in the right players. Now, um, a good job is also what we expect from the president of the Russian Football Union, Tim. <laughs> um, we just need to figure out who it is. Yeah, we, yeah. Who, who is it? Is it is it Mutko or is it uh, Dukov or who's in charge? I think the Russian Football Union is be taking its um, taking its lead from Rostov two seasons ago, when we we had was it three <laughs> managers at one time almost. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, the president and was the actual pre- vice president who was coaching the team. Oh, well, as long as we don't have that with the Russian national team, we're all good, I guess. Um, so, uh, Tim, um, let's try to put light on this. <laughs> well. <laughs> It, it 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 won't be that easy because um, <laughs> nothing acting, ever is in Russia. <laughs> yeah, current acting president is alive, who is a fairly young player who used to play uh, beach soccer, beach football, and then he um, transitioned into the to the uh, to the Russian uh, football union. Um, on the official website of Russian Football Union, the president is Vitaly Mutko, and there were rumors that uh, Dukov, who is um, used to work and used to be a big um, in a management position at Zenit, will be the new president. So it's really very unclear to see who is the actual um, president of Russian Union right now and who makes the decisions. Every candidate has uh, their own um, advantages. Uh, the least advantages has alive because uh, even he's young and up and coming and he's acting and he's helping out right now but um, the key role of this position is to have uh, connections at the top level of the government Um, especially you know that that was very important when uh, Russia was getting ready and uh, got the uh, World Cup uh, because really it has it had not only to do the football it was um, connected to the whole country uh, building uh, airports hotels and all that stuff so uh, that's why Vitaly Mutko was in in charge because he has the best relationship uh, with the number one person in Russia uh, in the Russian government which is Vladimir Putin he has the relationship with him and he can you know talk, actually talk to him obviously alive who is former football player doesn't have those connections and that's his downside um, uh, Dukov who used to work at, at, at Zenit and who used to be um, for a long time he was in the management of Zenit. He has some connections, obviously, but he, since he given his St. Petersburg connection with Vitaly Mutko, he also has those connections um, to the 
to the president. So it is it is not only the footballing position, it's also the position of power, um, kind of what we discussed in then Kakorin Mamaev's case, that uh, it's not only just the pure law, it's also what what kind of connections uh, those players have and, and that kind of the, the decision on their life just depends on their connections. And here is, is very, very similar. I have no idea what will happen next, who will be actually uh, ruling the Russian football and if it will be Dukov, who will be actually making the decisions? Will it be Vitaly Mutko? Uh, but yeah, the situation, like usually in Russian football, it's fairly messy. I can tell you that Vitaly Mutko is a man of great appetite. He claimed uh, a total of 97 breakfasts during the Vancouver Olympics in 2010. Um, <laughs> you as, must have good breakfast over there, boys. Yeah. What is the breakfast like in Vancouver? It's, it's <laughs> apparently very good if you can eat it 97 times in a 10-day stay. Um, remarkable stuff. Uh, that That is probably the, the funniest uh, corruption allegation that I can find of Vitaly Mutko. And, uh, maybe a good, part, good time to... To, to wrap this thing up. Boys, um, I guess we'll maybe know by next week who's actually in charge in for <laughs> <laughs> of Russian football. I am being very optimistic here. Until then though, Tim, um despite or running out very quickly to get a breakfast, um what's going on in your life? Um where can people find you? <laughs> Uh, they, uh, people can find me on Twitter at RussianTim61 and on Instagram RocketFrom Russia. Uh, send me messages, ask me questions about Spartak Moscow, and I'll happy to have a conversations. And recently, it has been happening very effectively. Yeah, definitely. Always good to to send us questions. Uh, we love having questions and um, try to answer them. Uh, as much as we can, even though sometimes, as Mutko shows, it's almost impossible. Andrew, <laughs> what's going on in your life? Um, give us a lowdown. Where can people find you on Twitter, etc.? Uh, well, I'm on Twitter at and- Andrew M-I-J Flint. And yeah, I'm just, um, uh, busy, busy trying to fill my life with writing reports and, um, and previews for matches. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I write previews for a a betting advice website on the Russian Premier League so if you want to get your bets wrong then have a look at what I write um that's at the Hong Kong Hong Kong Jockey Club sorry um but yes uh European football once it comes around again I'll be doing more football grad previews there too yeah that's next week um believe it or not Champions League is next week uh we don't get any breaks on this on this network ever <laughs> that's just how it is but yeah you can find me uh andrew mentioned it already there's, there's previews they're going to be to be up for bundesliga and the russian league and then of course next week champions league and then there's going to be the uh, a few stories we have a, we have an analysis up on what actually happened to germany uh, chris williams wrote this a very interesting piece it's up on fußballstadt.com so if you're interested in and what's happening with the German national team. Um, that's well covered and that's all at Football Grad Live. We are always happy to answer questions. Um, we are always happy to hear feedback too. So if you want us to discuss something, happy to do so. And you can follow me and send me questions, of course, as well at Manuel Weff. Well, boys, that does it. Until next week, Dos Vedania. <laughs>
It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.